In the last chapter, we talked about the darkening of Valinor. Melkor contracted the services of Ungoliant, the matriarch of all horrible evil spiders, and together they ate up all the light in Valinor and completely destroyed the two trees before fleeing Amon. The Valar gather in the Ring of Doom, and remember, in this context, doom means judgment. Yavanna, the giver of fruits, stands upon the green mound where the two trees stand, but the mound is now black and barren, and the trees themselves are dead and dark, and each branch that she touches breaks and falls at her feet. Yavanna says to the Valar, The light of the trees has passed away and lives now only in the Silmarils of Feanor. Foresighted was he, even for those who are mightiest under Iluvatar, there is some work that they may accomplish once and once only. The light of the trees I brought into being, and within Ea I can do so never again. Yet, had I but a little of that light, I could recall life to the trees ere their roots decay, and then our hurt should be healed, and the malice of Melkor be confounded. Manwe, the king of the Valar, asks Feanor if he will give Yavanna what she asks for, and basically everyone in existence turns to look at Feanor expectantly. Tulkas the Strong gets impatient waiting for his answer and demands yes or no, who could say no to Yavanna, and remember, didn't the light of the Silmarils come from her anyway? But Aule the craftsman begs him to chill, saying that they are asking a greater thing of Feanor than they could know. When Feanor finally speaks, he says that, just as those as mighty as Yavanna have a great work they can make only once, the lesser have that limitation as well, and the Silmarils are his one great work. If he breaks them to bear their light, that would break his heart as well, and he would be killed, the first elf to be killed in Amman. Not the first, Mandos the Doomsman says ominously, and everyone ignores him. Feanor continues to brood, and he remembers what Melkor had told him at his father's house, that the Silmarils would never be safe if the Valar could get their hands on them. Feanor figures that, because Melkor is a Vala as well, he understands their hearts, and they must be trying to take his beloved Silmarils for themselves. He says aloud, I will not do this of my own free will, and if you force me to do it, then we will know that you and Melkor are the same. Nienna, the therapist Vala, weeps upon the green mound, and her tears wash away the defilements of Ungoliant, and she sings in mourning. And while Nienna mourns, messengers arrive from Formenos with yet more bad news. They tell of a blind darkness moving northward, obscuring the power walking within it. And from that darkness, Melkor had come to the house of Feanor and killed Feanor's father, Finway, the high king of the Noldor, spilling the first blood in the Blessed Realm. Then Melkor had broken the stronghold and stolen all of the jewels the Noldoran elves had hoarded there, including the Silmarils. It's now that Feanor curses Melkor and renames him Morgoth, the dark foe of the world. Feanor also curses Manwe for summoning the Noldor to their feast, because in the madness of his grief he wishes he had been home and he had been killed instead of his father. 
Then Feanor ran from the Ring of Doom and fled into the night, for his father was dearer to him than the light of Valinor or the peerless works of his hands. And who among sons, of elves or of men, have held their fathers of greater worth? Meanwhile, Morgoth escapes to the wastes of Araman in the north. He and Ungoliant pass in haste through the mists of Oyomore to the grinding ice of the Helcaraxe, and even farther to the north of the Outer Lands. They keep running, and as they draw nearer to Morgoth's stronghold of Angband, Ungoliant realizes that he is trying to escape her, to avoid paying her what she is owed. Blackheart, she said, I have done thy bidding, but I hunger still. What wouldst thou have more, said Morgoth? Dost thou desire all the world for thy belly? I did not vow to give thee that. I am its lord. Not so much, said Ungoliant, but thou hast a great treasure from Formenos. I will have all that. She throws his earlier promise back at him. Yea, with both hands thou shalt give it. Then, perforce, Morgoth surrendered to her the gems that he bore with him, one by one and grudgingly, and she devoured them, and their beauty perished from the world. Huger and darker yet grew Ungoliant, but her lust was unsated. With one hand thou givest, she said, with the left only. Open thy right hand. In his right hand, Morgoth held close the Silmarils, and though they were locked in a crystal casket, they had begun to burn him, and his hand was clenched in pain, but he would not open it. Nay, he said, thou hast had thy due, for with my power that I put into thee thy work was accomplished. I need thee no more. These things thou shalt not have nor see, I name them unto myself for ever. But in eating the light from the two trees and the beauty of the Noldoran gems, Ungoliant has grown incredibly powerful and Morgoth has grown weaker from his efforts, and she enmeshes him in webs to strangle him. He cries out a terrible cry, the echoes of which can still be heard in the region of Lamoth, and this cry rouses the Balrogs in the halls of Angband. They emerge, and with whips of flame they destroy Ungoliant's webs, and she flees into the darkness of Beleriand. She moves into a valley that afterward is called Nan Dungortheb, the Valley of Dreadful Death, because of the horrors she breeds there. She mates with other horrible spider creatures and then eats her mates, and her children, including Shelob, go on to be, if not as powerful, just as horrible. Of the fate of Ungoliant, no tale tells. Yet some have said that she ended long ago when in her uttermost famine she devoured herself at last. Morgoth, free now from the Valar's imprisonment, summons all of his servants to return to the fortress of Angband, where he makes yet more vaults and dungeons, and he builds up the three peaks of Thangorodrim. Now his evil R&D begins in earnest, and his hosts of beasts and demons and orcs become uncountable, growing and multiplying in the bowels of the earth. Feeling now powerful once again, Morgoth calls himself King of the World and forges himself a great crown of iron in which he sets the Silmarils. His hands were burned black by the touch of those hallowed jewels, and black they remained ever after, nor was he ever free from the pain of the burning and the anger of the pain. That crown he never took from his head, though its weight became a deadly weariness. Now the action returns to Valinor, where the mourning for the dual loss of the two trees and of King Finway continues. And suddenly, Feanor appears in the city of Tyrion upon Tuna and summons the Noldor to come to the high court of the king. He is a master of words, and his angry, prideful speech stirs the Noldor to frenzy. Feanor hates Morgoth more than anything, yet all of his words come from the lies Morgoth had planted in him. 
First Feanor claims the kingship of the Noldor as his father is now dead, and then he scorns the decrees of the Valar. Why, O people of the Noldor, he cried, why should we longer serve the jealous Valar who cannot keep us nor even their own realm secure from their enemy? And though he be now their foe, are not they and he of one kin? Vengeance calls me hence, but even were it otherwise, I would not dwell longer in the same land with the kin of my father's slayer and of the thief of my treasure. Yet I am not the only valiant in this valiant people, and have ye not all lost your king? And what else have ye lost, cooped here in a narrow land between the mountains and the sea? Here once was light that the Valar begrudged to Middle-earth, but now dark levels all. Shall we mourn here, deedless forever, a shadow folk, mist haunting, dropping vain tears in the thankless sea? Or shall we return to our home? In Quivienen sweet ran the waters under unclouded stars, and wide lands lay about, where a free people might walk. There they lie still, and await us who in our folly forsook them. Come away, let the cowards keep this city. Fair shall the end be, he cried, though long and hard shall be the road. Say farewell to bondage, but say farewell also to ease. Say farewell to the weak, say farewell to your treasures. More still shall we make. Journey light, but bring with you your swords, for we will go further than Orome, endure longer than Tolkas. We will never turn back from pursuit. After Morgoth, to the ends of the earth. War shall he have, and hatred undying. But when we have conquered and have regained the Silmarils, then we and we alone shall be lords of the unsullied light, and masters of the bliss and beauty of Arda. No other race shall oust us. Now Feanor swears a terrible oath, around which much of the history of the First Age will revolve. Feanor's seven sons eagerly stand with him and take the oath as well. They swear, by the name of Iluvatar, to pursue with vengeance and hatred to the ends of the world any creature who should hold or take or keep a Silmaril from their possession. Many of the Noldoran elves watching are frightened by these words, because for good or evil, any oath so sworn may not be broken, and it shall pursue oath-keeper and oath-breaker to the world's end. Feanor's younger half-brother Fingolfin and Fingolfin's son Turgon speak against Feanor for this reason, and they nearly come to a violent argument. But their youngest brother, Finarfin, speaks softly and persuades the Noldor to pause and consider before they do anything that can't be undone. Fenarfin's daughter Galadriel is eager to be gone from Amon. She swears no oath to her uncle Feanor, but his words have kindled a yearning in her heart to see the wide-open lands of Middle-earth and rule a realm of her own. There is a long debate among the Noldor, and at length Feanor's side wins. Although Fenarfin pleads for them to wait and ponder their actions, someone yells, Let's go already! And Feanor and his sons begin the long march north. Many should have made better preparations, but Feanor drives them on in haste because he is afraid that if anyone takes the time to stop and actually think about what they're doing, they will lose momentum and he will stand alone against the power of the Valar. However, the Valar send no messengers, and Manwe the king of the Valar stays silent. In Valinor, the Valar are grieved that Feanor believes them capable of such evil as to imprison the Noldor, and more importantly, they don't think Feanor can actually convince them to go through with leaving. And indeed, almost immediately, dissent arises among the Noldor. They're in agreement that they want to leave Amon and have dominion in Middle-earth, but they definitely don't all want Feanor to be king. 
Most of them prefer Fingolfin to Feanor's hot-headedness, so they go forward as two hosts, one of Feanor in the vanguard and one of Fingolfin following behind. Fingolfin marches against his wisdom because his son Fingon urges him to, and because he doesn't want to be sundered from his people who wanted to leave, nor leave them to the wills of Feanor. Their youngest brother Fenarfin also goes with Fingolfin for the same reasons. As Feanor leaves the gates of Tyrion upon Tuna, a messenger of Manway arrives and says this, Against the folly of Feanor shall be set my counsel only. Go not forth, for the hour is evil, and your road leads to sorrow that ye did not foresee. No aid will the Valar lend you in this quest, but neither will they hinder you, for this ye shall know. As ye came hither freely, freely shall ye depart. But thou, Feanor, Finway's son, by thine oath art exiled. The lies of Melkor thou shalt unlearn in bitterness. Vala he is, thou sayest, then thou hast sworn in vain, for none of the Valar canst thou overcome now or ever within the halls of Ea, not though Eru whom thou namest had made thee thrice greater than thou art. Feanor laughs at this and largely ignores the herald, addressing the Noldor instead. He asks, will you brave people return to your bondage and send the heir of your king alone with only his sons into banishment? In Amman, we have come through bliss to woe, and now we will try it the other way in Middle-earth, through sorrow to joy, or at least to freedom. Then Feanor does address Manwe's herald. He says, even if I can't overthrow Morgoth, at least I am doing something, and it may be that Iluvatar has set a fire in me greater than you can understand. I will do such hurt to the enemy that even the mighty Valar will wonder at it. Now, Feanor leads the Noldor north, following Morgoth's path. They are leaving from Tyrion upon Tuna, near basically the equator of Arda, where the sea between them and Middle-earth is impossibly wide. So they travel north, where the land grows wider and the sea narrows for an easier crossing. Feanor eventually realizes that the numerous host of the Noldor will never make the journey all the way north unless they have ships. However, in the time it takes to build a great fleet, they will lose their passion and the Noldor don't have skill in shipbuilding regardless. So he decides to approach the Teleran elves, master shipwrights, elves who live on the eastern shores of Amman, preferring the music of the waves to the light of Valinor. Feanor wishes to persuade them to join him, both because their leaving would decrease the glory of Valinor and to increase the strength of his force against Morgoth. He goes with his host to the port city of Alqualande, or Swanhaven, and speaks to the Teleri with the same passion that had moved the Noldor, but the Teleri are uninspired by him. They are grieved by the thought of their kin leaving, but they would rather dissuade them from their path than help them to leave, and they would never give the Noldor ships nor teach them shipbuilding against the wishes of the Valar. The Teleran elves wish no other lord than Olwe, the prince of Alqualande. Olway had never given an audience to Morgoth, and he trusts that Olmo, Lord of Waters, and the other Valar will deal with Morgoth. This makes Feanor angry, and his fear of delays only adds fuel to his fire. He says to Olway, You renounce your friendship even in the hour of our need. Yet you were glad indeed to receive our aid when you came at last to these shores, faint-hearted loiterers and well-nigh empty-handed. In huts on the beaches would you be dwelling still had not the Noldor carved out your haven and toiled upon your walls. But Olway answered, We renounce no friendship, but it may be the part of a friend to rebuke a friend's folly. 
And when the Noldor welcomed us and gave us aid, otherwise then you spoke. In the land of Amman we were to dwell forever, as brothers whose houses stand side by side. But as for our white ships, those you gave us not. We learned not that craft from the Noldor, but from the lords of the sea. And the white timbers we wrought with our own hands, and the white sails were woven by our wives and our daughters. Therefore we will neither give them nor sell them for any league of friendship. For I say to you, Feanor, son of Finway, these are to us as are the gems of the Noldor, the work of our hearts whose like we shall not make again. Feanor leaves in anger, and when he deems that his strength is enough, he returns to Alqualande and begins to man the anchored ships and take them by force. The Teleri, however, fight back and throw many of the Noldor into the sea. Then swords are drawn and violence breaks out. The Teleri push back Feanor's forces three times and many are killed on both sides. Fingolfin's host arrives to find this battle, and they assume that the Valar had instructed the Teleri to stop them leaving, so they join in the fight. The Noldor's greater numbers allow them to win, wickedly slaying many of the Teleran elves, for the Noldor are fierce and desperate, and the Teleri are armed mostly with bows. This is referred to as the kinslaying at Alqualande, but unfortunately it will later be known as the first kinslaying, because the Oath of Feanor isn't done killing people yet. The Noldor leave in the swan ships, rowing north along the coast. Olway the prince calls upon the Maya Ose, but he receives no answer because the Valar have not permitted the Maiar to stop the Noldor by force. However, Ose's wife Uenin weeps for the slain mariners of the Teleri, and the sea rises in anger against the Noldor, and many of the ships are wrecked and their passengers drowned. However, the greater part of the Noldoran host survives, and after the storm has passed, they continue on their path northward, some by sea and some by land, and the way is long and ever more evil as they continue. At last they come to the northern borders of the guarded realm and beyond to the empty wastes of Araman, mountainous and cold. There they see a dark figure standing upon a rock. Some say it is a herald of Manway, others say it is Mandos the Doomsman himself. This figure speaks what is called the Prophecy of the North and the Doom of the Noldor. Tears unnumbered ye shall shed, and the Valar will fence Valinor against you and shut you out, so that not even the echo of your lamentation shall pass over the mountains. On the house of Feanor the wrath of the Valar lieth from the west unto the uttermost east, and upon all that will follow them it shall be laid also. Their oath shall drive them, and yet betray them, and ever snatch away the very treasures that they have sworn to pursue. To evil end shall all things turn that they begin well, and by treason of kin unto kin, and the fear of treason shall this come to pass. The dispossessed shall they be forever. Ye have spilled the blood of your kindred unrighteously, and have stained the land of Amman. For blood ye shall render blood, and beyond Amman ye shall dwell in death's shadow. For though Eru appointed you to die not in Ea, and no sickness may assail you, yet slain ye may be, and slain ye shall be, by weapon, and by torment, and by grief, and your houseless spirits shall come then to Mandos. There long shall ye abide, and yearn for your bodies, and find little pity, though all whom ye have slain should entreat for you. And those that endure in Middle-earth, and come not to Mandos, shall grow weary of the world as with a great burden, and shall wane and become as shadows of regret before the younger race that cometh after. The Valar have spoken. 
This, understandably, frightens many of the Noldor, but Feanor says, We have sworn, and we will keep our oath. We are threatened with treason and other evils, but we shall not suffer from cowardice, and the deeds we do will be sung about until the last days of the world. But the doom of the Noldor that Mandos had proclaimed is enough to shake the heart of Finarfin, Feanor and Fingolfin's youngest brother. Fenarfin forsakes the march, feeling bitter toward Feanor, as he is close friends with Olwe of Elquilande. Fenarfin and his people are pardoned by the Valar, and Fenarfin rules the remaining Noldor in Amman. But Fenarfin's children continue on because they are not willing to leave behind their cousins, the sons of Fingolfin, and because they are afraid of the judgment of the Valar after their kinslaying. The Noldor finally come to the far north of Arda, and for the first time they see the Helcaraxe, also called the Grinding Ice. This is a narrow strait between the land of Amman and the shores of Middle-earth, where the cold waters of the encircling sea meet the waves of the Sea of Belaguer. There are thick fogs and chill mists, and the waters are full of clashing hills of ice and grinding sunken ice. No one has ever crossed the Helcaraxe except the Valar and Ungoliant. The host stops to debate the course they will take, and the cold begins to get to them, and the darkness of the mist, and many of them begin to regret coming on this journey, beginning to murmur against Feanor. Feanor takes counsel with his sons, and they see only two paths forward, by the grinding ice or across the sea. They deem the Helcaraxe too dangerous, while the ships they have are too few to carry everyone, especially after so many ships were lost in the storm when they first sailed from Alqualande. No one is willing to wait in the freezing cold of the western coast while others are ferried across first. Already, the fear of treachery is awake among the Noldor. So it comes into Feanor's heart that he must seize the ships and leave suddenly. A fortuitous wind springs up, and Feanor slips away on the ships with those he deems loyal to him, and he leaves his brother Fingolfin behind on the shore in the dark region of Araman. When Feanor and his sons arrive in Middle-earth, his eldest son, Maedhros the Tall, asks, Who will you send back across the sea, and who of Fingolfin's people should we pick up first? And Feanor laughs a crazed laugh and says, None and none. What I have left behind I count now no loss. Needless baggage on the road it has proved. Let those that cursed my name curse me still and wind their way back to the cages of the Valar. Let the ships burn. And Feanor sets fire to the white swan ships of the Teleri, destroying the finest vessels that ever sailed the sea. Fingolfin and his people can see the light of the fire red through the mists, and they know that Feanor has betrayed them. Fingolfin desires now more than ever to come to Middle-earth and to meet with Feanor again. He and his host wander long in misery, and they grow stronger for it. Fingolfin and his sons, and Finarfin's children, Finrod and Galadriel, lead the host through the bitterest north, and they endure the terror of the Helcaraxe. Few of the deeds of the Noldor thereafter surpassed that desperate crossing in hardihood or woe. Many, many elves perish in this crossing, but at last Fingolfin and his host set foot on the outer lands in Middle-earth. They have no love left for Feanor or his sons, and they blow their trumpets at the first rising of the moon. That's going to be it for this episode of Speak, Friend, and Enter Deep Lore. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Those reviews really help people find the show. 
If you have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss on the show, please email us at speakfriendpod at gmail.com. You can check out the show's Twitter at speakfriendpod for official pod stuff and visual aids, and my personal Twitter is at askistwin, that's I-S-T-W-E-N. We'll have a regular episode up in two weeks, and next month we'll have another Deep Lore episode about the next chapter of the Silmarillion, of the Sindar, where we'll learn about Luthien Tenubiel, the fairest elf who ever lived, and the first meeting between elves and dwarves. Until next time, Muhu Torgizu Turguskin. <laughs> <laughs>